0: There is that second verse of that hymn. It says the love of God is broader than the measures of the mind. And the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. We know this to be true. We know that God is love. We know that God's love and mercy and forgiveness is greater than what we can imagine. And so when we come to Scripture verses that are difficult for us, it's always helpful to remember that God is loving and kind and gracious. And to think about how we can understand these passages in light of that truth. Because we can't read this and say, well, God must have just been having a really bad day. You know, the fact is that God is love, and God's love is being worked out all throughout Scripture, all throughout our lives and so we have to wrestle with that of of what does this teach us about God's love what does this teach us about God's kindness even though it may not seem that way we have to trust that this all of scripture is a reflection of God's ultimate love and kindness Um, and sometimes it's towards the greater community Um, but we we have to struggle with that Let us pray. Awesome and gracious God, you have called us together for the purpose of worship. And so Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit may lead our minds and hearts and bodies into true worship of You. That we may be caught up in adoration and awe of Your holy name. That we may see Your love and mercy and kindness in new ways. And that our hearts may reflect the deepest joy that is possible. And here God, as we prepare to read Your Word, to listen to it as it is proclaimed, we pray for wisdom and courage, and the boldness to listen, to be still, and let your spirit guide us forward. For we trust in you, our Lord God Almighty. Amen. You know, we we talk. I was, I mentioned these difficult passages because today is is a passage about which. I have a whole lot of questions. You will add this onto the list of of passages I want to really ask God about when I get to heaven. Um, But we're in Acts 5, 1-11. But first, I want to talk a little about team. And think about about in your own mind what, what comes to mind when you think of the word team, of how you would define a team. There's all sorts of different areas in which we work in teams. Sports is is one in which uh, we think of, certainly with the Super Bowl and with the Olympics, we have the the U.S. Olympic team is competing to try and win the most medals. And then within the U.S. Olympic teams, there's all sorts of, of other teams. There's the bobsled team, there's the ski team, there's the ice skating team, and they're all working, competing to win a gold in their own events. But we have teams, you have teams that work. There are medical teams. There are soccer teams that children play on. There's all sorts of different teams. And at the heart of a team is the idea that it's a a group of people coming together to achieve something that an individual could not on their own. The idea is that, that we go farther and faster as a part of a team than we would as individuals. So we use each other's strengths, we encourage each other, and we work together. And think of the Olympic team, if the US Olympic team only sent one member, and that one person was supposed to do everything, right, so they went ice skating, and then they went. They did curling, and then they went and did the bobsled all by themselves, they probably wouldn't do nearly as good as the whole US Olympic team will. Maybe they would if they were really a remarkable athlete. Um, but they wouldn't do as well as the entire team working together. And what we see is every once in a while, a team of individuals comes together and really exceeds something extraordinary. And then the team becomes greater than just the sum of the parts. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch when it happens but we can also say that most of the teams with which we are associated most of the teams that that we watch or that we read about the, the consequences of their work in the grand scheme of things often isn't that important you know I think about a baseball team baseball season is soon to begin with spring training and honestly in the course of a season It doesn't really matter on the eternal realm of things who wins and who loses I know this is hard for some people to hear but it doesn't really ultimately matter it doesn't really ultimately matter who wins the gold medal in a certain Olympic event most of the teams to which we belong the outcomes don't truly matter Certainly, when we think of, of children's sporting events, they don't matter nearly as much as some parents uh, make them out to be. Uh, and yet, when we think of the church, the church functions as a large team. We're a group of individuals and we bring ourselves together and we join our efforts to proclaim the message of the Gospel in all of the world. To live out the love of God and neighbor. To come together to support and encourage. To come together to mourn and weep. We work together in the idea that together we achieve far more than we could have on our own. And the church, I would say, is the most important organization, the most important team that has ever or will ever existed. Because millions of years from now, when the sun has expanded and consumed the earth, there is only one organization that not only will still be functioning, but it will actually be functioning better than they are now. And that is the church. The church will stand forever. And the message with which we've been entrusted, that message of grace and love, is an important message because it invites others into that eternal reality. And so the church has a task far more important than any other task there is to be done on this earth. The proclamation of the gospel is a vital, vital, important task. And so how well the church works together as a team is critically, critically important. It is eternally important. And so with that in mind, let us turn now to read Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. There is, this is a story of Ananias and Sapphira. And I was checking in at a hotel some time ago, and the, the person who worked at the front desk, his name was Ananias. And, he, and I said, that's a great name. He said, yes, I'm named after the good Ananias. He wanted to be very clear. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God. Now when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. Great fear seized all who heard of it, The young men came and wrapped up his body, then carried him out and buried him. After an interval of three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and died. When the young men came in, they found her dead, so they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard of these. At best, we could describe this as bizarre. I think the first thing that certainly comes to my mind when I read it is I think, this must have done a whole lot to really encourage giving in the early church. Imagine when you can end your pledge drives with, otherwise, God might kill you. The NPR pledge drives would certainly be a lot shorter if they used that terminology. But it's just amazing. They come and they... they, give this money to the church but they're not honest and next thing you know they fall down and die and we wonder why why did this happen there are certainly things far more severe than this in the bible that God does not punish so immediately and so drastically and so we wonder why why did they fall down and die immediately upon lying to Peter about what they sold the land for. It seemed severe. It seemed harsh. And to answer this question, I think, effectively, we go back to the idea of being on a team. And in order for a team to work successfully, each individual has to commit fully to that team, and each person has to trust that the team will support them. And if those things are not there, cracks will appear in the foundation, relationships will fray, and if it is carried out to the end, the team will fall apart. If it is a bunch of individuals selfishly pursuing their own goals under the cover of a team. To better understand this, we turn to the end of chapter 4. Starting at verse 32, it says, The whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Pay attention to this, verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Can you imagine a community where there is not a single physical need in the community? There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him, and then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. When this community is described, it sounds like this amazing team, right? This is something of which we would want to be a part. It's a passionate group of people. Focused around the proclamation of the gospel and they recognize that even their possessions are better pooled together. And they totally trust the community that whenever they have a need, the community will band together to meet that need. They are fully committed and they fully trust the community. And you can imagine the type of reputation this community would have had in Jerusalem. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Right? I mean, anything you have, any need you have, the community meets it. It's a supportive, loving, strengthening group of individuals gathered around the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they see this group, and they want the benefits of it, but they don't want to contribute. Their reputation enhanced by membership in the group but they don't want to pay the cost of joining and they don't fully trust these people either they when they sell their land they hold back a portion of the proceeds for themselves because what if the group doesn't come through what if they have a need and it turns out the group doesn't need it we better keep something back. We're not going to fully trust this group. But we really want the benefits. We want them to see us as important. We want them to see us as generous. We're going to give this money and we're going to make it sound like the entire proceeds of this sale are all going to the church. Just like Barnabas did in the end of chapter 4. And isn't Barnabas a great guy? Everybody loves Barnabas. We too can be loved just like him. But we don't have to pay the full price. No one will ever find out. Nobody will know. They'll think we're just like them. What we see is someone unwilling to make commitments, unwilling to trust. They're in it for themselves. They're joining this out of selfish purposes. And if that attitude spreads in the community... Cracks will begin to form. Relationships will begin to fray. And the early church may well fall apart. And the task of the early church is so critically important that that cannot happen. This is a message of eternal weight that needs to spread to the known world that everyone on earth needs to hear this message. And this is the reason I think that the story ends like it does. Because it's important the community is committed to each other. It's important the community trusts one another. And so what does this mean for us today? What does it mean for us to read this other than to be terrified that God's going to strike us down at any moment? And the important thing for us is when we think about the fact that we are a part of a community is to examine our own commitments. Are we fully committed to the life of of the greater church? Do we fully trust the people in the pews around us? Do we look out for one another? Do we care for one another? Do we love one another? And do we trust that when things in our lives are struggling, when we have needs, do we trust these people to help us meet our needs? Are we going to commit to the life of the church and will we trust the church to support us to strengthen and encourage us and this lives itself out every day in the choices that we make but I think one of the most simple things we can do is reach out and just say hello there are people that are not here today look around you who's not here who's not here that maybe hasn't been here in a week or two weeks or a month and you've missed them but you've, you know, it slips our mind after the service how can you reach out to those people how can you give them a call send them a card and say I'm thinking about you is there anything you need I love you and I'm grateful that you're a part of this church and I want to see you back in church how do we reach out to one another to commit fully to the life of the congregation? And also look at the people who are around you. Are we in, continue, in continued fellowship with them? You know, reach out, invite them to lunch, invite them to dinner. How do we get to know each other better to strengthen those relationships? To recognize that we are a part of a team with a common Goals where we're supporting and encouraging and nurturing one another to where we let the love of Christ work through us and we reach out to those with whom we are joined that we may work together to spread the gospel Because when we work together, when we support each other, when we're a part of each other's lives, the Holy Spirit works in us and through us and binds us together. And we become, as it says, a whole group of one heart and soul where God joins us together and we have this strength and we're encouraging one another and we're supporting one another and word gets out. Other people look at a community and they say, I want to be a part of a community like that. Where my needs are met. Where I'm strengthened. Where I'm encouraged. Where I'm loved. Where I'm welcomed just as I am. And this is how the church spreads. The love of Christ at work in our lives. Spreads from one person to another to another. And people are invited in to hear the message of grace. To hear the gospel. Eternal transformation in Jesus Christ. This is what is at stake it is so important that we reach out one person to another. That we commit to the lives of one another and we trust each other. We share our deepest hurts and our greatest joys. We pray for each other. We eat together. We love one another. And Christ moves us forward. And His kingdom expands person by person. And a million years from now, we will worship together in the light of Christ's love. Let us pray. Gracious, holy, and awesome God, You are using our lives. You bring us together and You send us out. God, I pray for Holy Spirit wisdom that we may support and nurture and encourage one another. That we may reach out to folks who are not here. That we may reach out to our friends and community and invite them in. That we may go out to them. That we may share our lives. And that Your Spirit may work through us. In Christ's name we pray.
1: Amen.